0: Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in June of this year. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest today is Utah author James McLaughlin. Uh, he is author of a debut novel which is getting rave reviews. It's called Bearskin. Here's the, uh, the plot in brief. Rice Moore is a field researcher by trade and a former smuggler by association. His new job as a caretaker and researcher for the Turk Mountain Forest Preserve in rural Virginia seems ideal, not only for its remote, largely untouched wooded terrain, but also because it's a perfect hideout from the Mexican drug cartels he betrayed back in Arizona. When Rice finds the carcass of a bear killed by poachers on the reserve, his newly quiet life unravels. As the bear killings continue, Rice partners with his predecessor, a scientist named Sarah, who remains passionate about her work on the preserve while struggling to overcome the horrific incident that ended her time there. In trying to stop the poaching, Rice finds himself in the hostile crosshairs of the locals, the law, even his employers. The investigation pushes him into a nationwide criminal network, pulling him back into the deadly past he had hoped never to encounter again. So, Pulse Pounding uh, Novel. James McLaughlin, welcome uh, to the program. Thank you very much, Tom. So you, uh, just a little background on you, uh, grew up in Virginia?
1: Yes, I did. I did.
0: Uh, so, and interesting situation. Your parents ran a summer camp?
1: Yeah. Yeah. My uh, my parents started a summer camp way back in the 50s on a farm outside of Lexington, Virginia. My dad was a, a football coach at the small uh, college there. And uh, that was that was how I grew up in the in the summers at this um, on this farm at this camp. Yeah, pretty idyllic. So he's
0: a football coach. He decides to start a summer camp. Yeah, yeah. His mean, summers was, off, right? Yeah, his of summers yeah. off.
1: Uh, he he played for the Green Bay Packers back in really uh, 1941. Yeah, before right. World
0: War II. Yeah. Wow, Wow, well, pretty cool. Um, I guess that would. Uh, gained some respect from his players right if it, sure. he, was, he was pro right? oh yeah and, oh yeah
1: yeah they they, they loved him uh, yeah he was kind of a legend
0: yeah. yeah tell me a little bit about this uh how big a place was it i guess you you just roam around summers yeah.
1: yeah um well you know during the camp uh, when i was really young i would roam around like a little kid would um and it was uh, it's a farm 330 acres and uh very rustic uh, we have uh uh Outhouses um, and uh, no 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 electricity up in the cabins. Um, We used to use kerosene lanterns. I think they use electric, battery powered lanterns now. But uh, yeah, once once I was a uh, an ostensible camper when I was of age. I was then uh, brought into the the uh, the program of camp. And it's it's Mm. mostly it's mostly sports, but a lot of nature oriented stuff and horses and. Uh, it was it was it was a great childhood. It really was.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a great uh, a great situation for you. But you have said that um, I guess I guess I'll put it this way: you're not like the not like the kids I went to camp with. You were you were reading some uh, material that I. <laughs> Didn't get to at your age, there, like there were, like like
1: who? There there were some kids reading, uh, but yeah, my brother gave me uh, Tarzan of the Apes when I was might have been a little too young for that, and uh, it probably um, changed my uh, head in, in ways we're still discovering. You <laughs> <laughs> not laugh about that? Uh, yes,
0: yeah, still discovering. Yeah. Right. Um, let's
1: see who who else did you read when you were younger? There were uh, there were a, a, a lot of. Um, fairly literary uh, counselors at the camp, and they would read things to us at, at night. Um, there was uh, Huckleberry Finn, and uh, and my brother read The Hobbit to us when I was in his cabin, and uh, A Good Man is Hard to Find is one that was read every summer uh, in the evening, and that, that really made an impression on me, the Flannery mm. O'Connor story.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, so some yeah. Flannery O'Connor sure. as well. And you have said that uh, you... You really were attracted to story. Story is important to you. Yeah,
1: yeah. It 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 made an impression on me. I, I would fall into those stories. I, just, I mean, I guess everybody does. But uh, I uh, I fell into them and then pretty quickly decided I would like to be able to make them. Um, mm. And so it was an aspiration from early on to, to be able to make stories.
0: Now, from that time, your view of what a writer does or how it is to be a writer – I'm guessing that's changed
1: over time. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, when I was, it was, I was in high school when I first kind of f- really formed the idea, I'm, I want to be a writer. And, and I thought I was going to be kind of an outdoor writer. I had read uh, Green Hills of Africa by Ernest Hemingway as a, I don't know, sophomore or junior in, in high school. And I thought, that's for me. Uh, I'm going to go out and, you know, have adventures and write about it um, it uh, over the decades, it, you figure out that there's a lot, a whole lot more writing than, than adventuring involved. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and and maybe what more boring, more arduous than you would imagined?
1: Or oh, not not boring, um, harder. Uh, you 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 find the limits of your talent, and you still keep doing it, and uh, you, it takes a while. Yeah, mm, yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit more about uh, uh, about the
0: the land out there in Virginia. I guess this informs the novel here, Sure, Sure,
1: sure. The the novel is set in a fictional county that is loosely based on the area where I grew up. I've changed it in certain ways. But it's kind of on the eastern edge of uh, technical Appalachia. It's um, in the Valley of Virginia. um, And there are mountains and some wild areas, and there are also farms um, and uh, kind of that that uh, blending of the wild and the agricultural there and uh, what happens there on the edges I found very interesting.
0: Mm. Now uh, I want to get to this a little later on uh, I was fascinated by the language language features a lot backwoodsman I'm not sure what we're yes yeah I trying not to use a pejorative term right sure sure uh, sure, um,
1: sure it's it's dialect and, and mm-hmm. I grew up uh, hearing a lot of that um, and uh, and it mark's characters in certain ways you you can identify somewhat where they where they come from there's a, a fairly mysterious character who appears early in the book whose dialect is uh much more extreme than you find in the in the county generally and so you know he's he's from a little wilder place yeah we'll
0: get into that uh, one-armed man right that uh, sure. appears yeah. out of the forest yeah. um and and at first uh, you're your hero here. Rice can't understand him, right? He has to to practice. I don't want to get get back into that. Um, So you you went on to get an MFA and a law degree.
1: I did. I did in in reverse order. uh, Uh, A law degree and then MFA? Yeah, exactly. Okay. exactly.
0: All right. Okay. That makes a little more sense to me. Okay. Uh, I was going to say maybe you're like me. You took 15 years to get my undergrad and (laughs) I was all over the map. But uh, so uh, you were always had a view that you were going to be a writer at some point?
1: Yes. Yes. That's always what I wanted to be. And uh, I was prevailed upon to uh, take the LSAT and apply to law school and uh, was lucky enough to do well on the test and got into a very good school. And so I went and uh, um, it was a great education. and it, mm-hmm. it really is. I, I uh, can't Speak highly enough of that education. My yeah. wife's a law school professor, so I okay, have to, All right? Have to shout so, out. so you do. You need to speak well <laughs> about it. Right.
0: Um, uh, and uh, but you you stayed in cons- uh,
1: conservation law,
0: right? Yeah, so,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. I picked that up. Um, it was uh, there's a, a big piece of property near the our family farm that was under threat of development, and the the county, a lot of the neighbors um, objected to it, and it was and it was, it was a you know, a thing, a situation, and eventually uh, my mother was able to basically um, mortgage everything she had and, and buy it um, at a good price. And uh, then I, as a brand new lawyer, and, uh, and my cousin as a, a real estate person were charged with figuring out how to get her out of debt. Mm. And uh, part of that involved protecting the uh, 1,000 acres with a conservation easement. And after that, um, that became my interest in the legal field, hmm. um, and so yeah, I picked up on that. And then, interestingly, that's my wife's uh, specialty as well. Okay, yeah, um, uh, s- still involved in that—that that kind of law. Yes, I am. Uh, one of my best and oldest friends and I started a business back in the early aughts, I guess, uh, that that deals with land conservation in Virginia. And uh, he's the the MBA and the ex banker, and I'm the lawyer, and uh, we we have a little company based in Virginia and I telecommute and spend part of the year each year back there. Okay. All right. Um
0: so I'm interested in your
1: your outsider's view of Utah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh it's funny my we moved out here because my wife got the the job at the law school uh there in in, in Salt Lake. And uh uh you go where you get a good job and this was a really good job, but I was rooting for it cuz I've always wanted to live in the in the Rocky Mountains since I was a little kid. So I was excited to be out here and uh we ended up uh, buying a house up in Immigration Canyon outside of town and where you walk out the back door and there's 70,000 acres to uh to hike in hmm. and that's uh, that's been just wonderful I've, I've really loved getting to know the uh the animals and the plants and the, the 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 land yeah yeah
0: what what is it do you think is that upbringing in the
1: summer camp out there yeah I, I i imprinted on um, fairly on a, a farm that also was fairly wild. You know, there's, there's a, a big mountain right next to it that we climbed all the time. So, uh, yeah, that's always been my main uh, my main thrust, my main interest. W- what uh, what was about the Rocky Mountain area that you wanted to come to? Wildness. Wildness, uh, Yeah, okay. Yeah. big animals, yeah. wildness, elk. Yeah. Yeah. Elk, We I can easily go out and see moose and elk. And uh, we haven't seen a mountain lion yet, but I know they're out there. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, differences. I could imagine the first, dif- the first difference I know,
1: I, I notice mm. when I go back and visit my sister in Maryland is the humidity. Oh my God. Yeah. We've become, uh, such obligate Westerners now to the yeah. zero climate. <laughs> we go back East and just <laughs> melt in the first right. uh, day or so. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, what else when you go out and hike and, uh, you know, the, well, the, certainly the elevation is different. Um, mm. we our house is at 6,000 feet and, uh, People who come east, uh, come from back east, they struggle for the first few days hiking. And when we go back east, uh, you're sort of like Superman for a few days. Uh, yeah. Near, uh, VO2. V, what is it? VO2. The are way right, there. right.
0: Uh, in the book, uh, there's um, there's a tension between the locals and, and the rice works for the preserve. The mm-hmm. locals don't like the preserve. Right. My mind immediately went to the public lands fights. I mean, this isn't... Public lands. This is private land, but the but the locals don't like the fact that the preserve owners are locking
1: up this land and they can't use it. And a similar dynamic. Exactly. It's the same issue. It absolutely is. Uh, maybe on a little different scale out here, but uh, say, same issue. And uh, that in and my my character Rice has come from outside, and he's he works for the people who own the place and who are engaged in this important preservation work. But he also, you know, he comes from a uh, he's 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 a, he's worked construction for a lot of his life, and he he has sympathy for the for the locals as well. So he's caught in the middle. But he has a job to do and protect this land. Yeah, and then in your profession, you still do
0: conservation easements, that sort of thing. Uh, I guess do you do you deal with conflicts as it's, a professional?
1: It's it's very interesting the um, the that work. There's less conflict. Um, it's all completely voluntary. Uh, everybody, involves wants, everybody involved wants to engage in this protection. And uh, usually, I mean, it's a lot of farmers and the easements are structured to allow them to continue farming. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's more of a win-win, uh, yeah. not so much conflict
0: there. And, uh, you know, you see some environmental groups uh, saying, hey, we're not going to reach our goals in the public policy arena. We're going to buy up land or we're right. going to get easements. We're going to... Right, we're going to use the private sector. Right,
1: right, right. Sure, yeah. That's a way when uh, it's a it's a it's a way around um, uh, a failure of political will. When you have private will and people who are um, are excited to protect the land, uh, you can do it that way. But it still has to be within the uh, overall construct uh, of a. Uh, of a, of a land use plan yeah. uh, for the county. And I guess
0: you as a con, the, the way you consume the public lands, you say you have, you know, 70,000 acres right at your back door of yeah. uh, uh, that you have access to there. Um, I I guess this is a boon, right? to have a state with 70% or something oh, it's amazing. owned by the federal government versus Virginia, I'm not sure what percentage
1: but right. much lower, right? Right, right, right. Back back there, there I mean, where I'm from, there's uh, a great deal of of public land, uh, state and national forest, but uh, the scale is just different out here, and uh, it's it's big tracts of, uh, of wild land. It's uh, really nice and striking.
0: Yeah. Let's take a break. When we come back, I wanted to jump
1: into Bearskin. This new uh, – you described as a thriller. Yes, it's a thriller. Um, some of the marketing copy says it's a literary thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's kind of up to the reader.
0: Yeah. And you said something interesting in, a, in an interview I was reading. Uh, you said it's it's tough. Uh, to to write a page-turner. There's some difficulties there. We'll get into that when we come back. We're talking with James McLaughlin. By the way, it's McLaughlin, not McLaughlin. You you got it right. Okay, great, good. James McLaughlin, and uh, he lives now in Utah, um, outside of uh, Salt Lake City, uh, grew up in Virginia. This uh, novel is set in Virginia. Literary thriller is called Bearskin. It's out now. More following this break. Hilary Swank is a two-time Oscar winner, and it's been a long time since you were introduced to her in Boys Don't Cry. In her new film, she plays someone you know well, a daughter trying to talk her parent into entering
1: an assisted living home. Hilary Swank talks about how that's a role she understands very well. It's coming up on Q from PRI Public Radio International.
0: Tune in this afternoon at 1 to Utah Public Radio.
1: Crisis in the Gaza Strip as clean drinking water grows scarcer. It's a ticking time bomb. Should pandemic disease break out in Gaza, people will start moving to the fences, and they won't be moving with stones or with rockets. They'll be moving with empty buckets, desperately calling out for clean water. I'm Steve Kerwood with the Gaza Water Crisis, next time on Living on Earth from PRI.
0: On UPR, Wednesday morning at 10. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in June of this year. You're listening to Access Utah, I'm Tom Williams. We're back with James McLaughlin. His uh, debut novel, Bearskin, a literary thriller, is uh, getting rave reviews. We're happy to have him with us in studio uh here. So um must be gratifying getting very good reviews. Um Long history, though, to get to, yeah. get to where we are today. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Uh, tell us about what what you call Bearskin 1.0. <laughs> yeah, I uh,
1: after I graduated from law school, I worked in a law firm for a while, and then uh, left to uh, go back to Charlottesville and try and get into a writing program. Uh, I started at the UVA, uh, uh, the uh, MFA in creative writing, I think is what they call it. Um, and I uh, wrote the first version of of Bearskin there. Most most people write short stories in these programs, and for whatever reason, I was compelled to write a, a longer a longer piece. And so, yeah, so I've started calling that Bearskin one point because I, <clears throat> you know, I finished it, and then it wasn't really that good. And then I put it aside for a long time, came back to it, and uh, wrote this book in the past ten years. Which for me, that's recent history. Yeah.
0: It must be hard. You, you've said that you, you know, you you looked back at that and you decided, like, the setting's pretty good. Characters are boring. Right. I have to throw <laughs> – throw <laughs> yes. I can use the kernel of ideas. I have to throw everything out, you yes. know, all the characters.
1: Yeah. I, a friend of mine uh, contacted me who, who was in the program with me at UVA, and this was oh, 10, 11 years ago. And he said, I think you should go back to Bearskin and, and, and uh, strip it down to the good stuff and, and try again. I said, I think there's something there. And I said, all right, I'll give it a a month or two. And and so I, I did. I threw out the characters because the characters were the problem and they were fine. I, I thought they were they were nice people, but they just weren't very interesting. And uh, so i this, this character of Rice Moore uh, kind of percolated up into my imagination and I put him in the same setting with the same basic premise with the bear poaching and uh, wrote a few chapters and thought that, I can stand alone. I like it and I started sending it out and it got picked up by a, a, a literary journal and won an award and that's when the requests for the novel started coming in mm. and uh, so eventually I I decided to extend it. So tell me about um about Rice. Rice is a he's an interesting guy. Um it's the 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 character in Bearskin 1.0 was was a lot like me and and Rice is way more interesting than me. He's he has come from a uh, scientific background undergrad um but things didn't go well for him and uh he ended up um not using his science degree and uh fell into uh, the cross border uh smuggling trade at some point um, for the for the love of a woman uh, as they say and and uh he uh, it all went sideways in a very, very bad way, and uh, he ended up ended up in Virginia on the run, hiding out from a threat
0: so um and one of the central plot points I understand comes from an incident that you actually heard about, so rice is he's Hidden, quote unquote. Right, he, it's right. great. The, the rotary phone, right. In the first place, is disconnected. So yes. you know he's out on the preserve. So cartel is not going to
1: find him. Right. Um. And 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 then what happens with the with the bears? And then as the uh, as the the main narrative starts is a uh, a a man who uh, is kind of a mysterious character and. Uh, you want me to talk about the, uh, the, the real-life event that, that yeah, sparked for, first, the first, Yeah, sure, first, and then we'll sure, go to the book. Yeah. Sure, yeah. I, I, my, my cousin uh, told me a story uh, right before I started at the, at the creative writing program in Charlottesville. And uh, he said he had picked up a hitchhiker up in the mountains who uh, he made his living picking things out in the woods, uh, mushrooms and, and ginseng, that sort of thing. So he spends all his time out there. And he told my cousin he'd been finding a lot of bear carcasses out in the mountains that year, just left there, mutilated with their uh, their paws had been cut off and their gallbladders had been removed. And that uh, naturally interested me. Uh, it was happening in the mountains near where, where I grew up. And I started to do some research and find out you know, what the heck that was going on. And uh it turns out at that time, this was in the uh, mid to late 90s, there was demand For bear gallbladders and paws for sale on the black market, it was illegal, and uh, poachers were being paid what to them was good money and and you know a hundred, few hundred bucks, and up up to um, maybe a thousand uh, for these bear parts, and then they were being exported. To uh, East and Southeast Asia, and also in, in the United States, for for use in uh, traditional medicine and cuisine. Okay,
0: I was going to ask you who's consuming this, and right? Right. Why so traditional right medicine right. and and cuisine and cuisine? Yeah, okay. it's, a, it's the yeah.
1: the bear paws are, are apparently a very prestigious dish. Yeah, and uh, it's there's a big demand. There's still a demand for it, though it's not so much. A problem in the United States anymore, and it's interesting now. Bears, quite, American black bears, are quite common uh, these days. Hmm. Yeah, and
0: these are black bears, right? Or,
1: Primarily, uh, yeah. you could you could sell the grizzly bear parts, but there were so few of them, and there wasn't any premium, especially for those bears, as I yeah.
0: understand it. Yeah, I'd like to have you read a passage. This is uh, sure. early in the book. Uh, I think it's chapter three. Um, so first, uh, set this up. Uh, um, Rice is out there. He thinks alone. Right, and and then he encounters this uh, mysterious guy. Tell us about this, yeah, this, this fellow, this
1: this guy. I, I it kind of took him somewhat out of out of the real life story. Uh, he's a very mysterious character, um, and sometimes we wonder whether uh, whether Rice is actually imagining him or not. But he is a mushroom picker who walks out of the woods, and uh, is the first human being Rice has seen on this uh, remote nature preserve, and so he's a little surprised. Uh, but the but the guy after some initial communication difficulties they uh he convinces rice to walk up on the mountain with him and he shows him this bear carcass mm. and the, the, it's obvious that this bear carcass
0: what has happened to this bear angers this man right
1: yes yes this 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 man is uh shows him the carcass and has this fairly strange reaction where he's uh is uh, obviously angry and uh maybe having a little bit of a of a moment there, he engages in this kind of strange dance hmm. and then just disappears. Yeah. So I'll have you read this in this passage. Yeah. And this has happened after he's, uh, he's disappeared. And this is when Rice is headed back down the mountain. A shrill, clattering call burst from the forest nearby. He stopped to watch, thinking pileated woodpecker, but the bird didn't appear. He knew most of the bird species now. His first log entries from back in March and April said things like big black woodpepper with, woodpecker with red crest. While he watched, a fresh breeze brushed against the big tulip trees, red oaks, sugar maples. Heavy branches rose and fell in slow motion, and a million leaves twisted on their stems, showing silver underneath. The forest was eerily animate, a gigantic green beast dreaming, its skin twitching and rippling, not quite threatening but powerful, watchful. For a moment, he imagined the forest was angry, disappointed that this intrusion by the bear poachers was his responsibility. He felt some of the mushroom pickers outrage at what he seemed to regard as a murder. But he pushed those thoughts away. Recently, he'd noticed in himself a slant towards excessive anthropomorphism. It was something he worked to keep in check. Still, even if he focused only on the facts, he surely had new troubles. The rupture of his inviolate refuge, a sudden sudden sense of encroachment and vulnerability, potential law enforcement implications. And there was the affront to his professionalism as caretaker. At least one bear, and probably others, had been poached on his watch. It demanded a response. Ever since he'd moved to Virginia, Rice had engaged in a nearly religious practice of keeping himself to himself, employing a human analog to the behavioral strategies of certain prey species. Drab coloring, quiet habits, never leaving cover, avoiding conflict. A change in strategy would be risky in a number of ways, not the least of which was the danger of unleashing his own tendency to push things further than he ought to. He couldn't call the law, that would expose him far too blatantly, but he also knew he couldn't sit back and wait for more intrusions. Turpin County harbored an active and outspoken tribe of bear hunters, and the few he'd encountered had been openly hostile toward him. Unfortunately, he couldn't think of any place else to start. At the lodge, he chained out of changed out of his sweaty clothes and hiding his pistol as usual in a slit he'd cut in the passenger seat of his truck, started the engine and began the long drive down the mountain. This is James McLaughlin reading from his uh, debut novel, Bearskin.
0: Um, so, by the way, the pistol his employers don't want him to have. Firearms, right, 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 yeah.
1: Pistols uh, sometimes a bad idea for a, for a caretaker.
0: Oh, yeah, they're afraid yeah, to shoot somebody. Right, yeah, right, right. Things could escalate. Right? Yes, but uh, he well, he knows his past. They don't, I guess. And, uh, right, and right, knows that he probably ought to have something. He, uh, he keeps
1: it, and he uh, he's fairly scrupulous about mm-hmm. um, uh, not carrying it with him when he goes up on the on the mountain. Yeah, uh, but he but he has it for other potential threats. I'm interested in this.
0: He, he's trying to guard against anthropomorphism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, what, what, what's
1: he doing there? He's, he's trained, uh, I mentioned before he's trained as a scientist. And so he tries to apply scientific rigor to his, uh, in, in, increasingly, uh, of weird experience in the mountains here. So he's trying to keep, stay rational, start trying to stay objective, trying to stay scientific. And, uh, all that starts to dissolve a little bit um, he's been up there alone for a long time, and uh he's uh maybe uh one way to look at it is he's being uh, either figuratively or literally possessed by some sort of uh mountain spirit it's a it's a a haunted mountain I love to play with with that uh supernatural sort of stuff in the background where it's it's not overt uh, but it's but it's there as a possibility in the background it could be psychological or or something else, yeah. You, you keep it ambiguous, but
0: yeah. he feels like the forest is watching him. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and he talks about uh, fugues and fits of reverie.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's um, ever since a, a, a traumatic event that actually is described in the in the prologue to the book, he has um, fallen prey to these these fugues where uh, he loses himself a bit in uh, being alone up, up here on the on the mountain. These fugues, fugues become more more frequent and mm-hmm. uh longer and more intense mm-hmm. until he kind of loses himself right, so what happens with the
0: bears he he takes it personally right that i'm i'm doesn't own this mountain but he but he's a he's a caretaker of it sure can't have poachers up here um maybe the smarter thing given his past would be to let it go but
1: he he doesn't that's exactly right, and that's kind of his first. Uh, decision or compulsion, where he he finds that uh, yes, it's his uh, he's a, a caretaker. It's it's his job description to protect this place, and he's failed to do it. He also, though, in the past six months, has uh, absolutely come to feel a and here's where the anthropomorphism and uh, lack of scientific rigor kicks in. He's he feel a real affection for this place. And uh, the the fancy word that I used in, in in an old interview about it, he cathects it. Uh, he, it becomes kind of part of himself. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah. Which a lot of us can relate to. Sure. Right? Yeah. Sure. We don't have the the past that Rice <laughs> does. Right. Or the... Now he goes. I don't think I'm revealing too much. You know, try not to because it's it is a thriller and there's, right. uh, some nice payoffs. Uh, he he goes undercover, right? He wants to. Yeah. He wants to sniff out this. This uh, bear poaching ring.
1: Yeah, his 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 first uh, attempts are are fairly hapless. Uh, he's he's not really an investigator, but he's 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 giving it a shot. So he he goes to a local bar and tries to talk to people about bear hunting, um, and and then in a, in a somewhat more serious uh, effort, he uh, finds some. He finds out that pig galls can be can pass for bear galls when they're dried, and so he gets some pig galls and. Uh, calls uh, the number <clears throat> that he has acquired of a, of a someone who's supposedly a local black marketeer, and he uh, uh, tries to sell the guy pig galls, and that goes sideways. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, that's that's quite the scene,
0: and I, I don't know. It, it it seemed pretty realistic to me, that, which takes me to research. This must have been uh, fun slash dicey in some cases. You you got to uh, you say you uh, got to go to a seedy hotel. In the middle of the night to interview an undercover undercover yeah. game warden who, yeah. who himself was trying to yes yes this see. guy was
1: awesome he was he was uh, uh, a very um, I, I, I was able to I was able to interview him only because I promised that I wasn't really a journalist that this was all for a background for a, for a, a fiction a work of fiction uh, but this guy was pretty amazing and uh, told me some air raising stories he swore me to secrecy on a lot of them. Mm. And, uh, but yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was fun research. And, um, uh, I did, I did a lot, I had to do a lot of catch up research when I, when I rewrote the book. Um, and especially with some of the, some of the backstory, uh, in Arizona, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. A lot of research.
0: Tell me about that. You, you went to border country.
1: Yes. Yes. I have a, uh, a cousin, one of my, one of my closest friends is, uh, lives in Tucson. And so ever since, gosh, the early eighties, mid eighties, I've been going down there to visit and he's, he's a kind of a part-time desert rat and we'd go walking around in the desert and exploring. And, uh, so I really came to love that country. And it just, when this backstory started coming to me, um, it just seemed perfectly natural that it would come out of the border country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and include, you know, it, it's from, from the, the reading, it,
0: uh, seems like you've, I don't, I don't know how you, I guess, I don't know if you Google this stuff is, uh, Sort of the business structure of cartels and how how that changes and how the,
1: the business you know because it's a it's a violent business but it's a business sure sure it is and and there are some really interesting uh, well researched books out there that I've, oh you go to I've the books big, I guess I that's how big, you do I have yeah. a big stack of them yeah you wouldn't yeah. join the cartel that that'd be too too far deep no no okay. at, at my reading the other night I tried to pretend that I'd ridden along with them with a sicario in in Mexico and nobody believed me yeah yeah
0: uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> right right which, which is prudent right you wouldn't do that no i would not um so um research about gunfighting
1: yeah yeah for example i uh I, I i bought some very interesting books on uh on gunfighting and and on snipers uh, yeah that kind of thing yeah. what
0: what stood out to you from that i mean you're probably researching specific things that uh that are going to happen in the book but is there anything that really stood
1: out to you that yeah it's 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 there and also that that is something where you can go on the internet and uh there is a a vast um sea of information uh and uh some of it seems pretty good you know you never know what you're finding on the internet but uh the the sort of uh serious gun combat people, a lot of them ex military on the internet, have some really interesting things to read about uh, mm. it's uh It's an interesting world out there, yeah. So I imagine research on bears too. Sure. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I. It's it's a little interesting that um, when I grew up in the in the mountains of Virginia, bears were almost uh, uh, this mythical beast. We we rarely, rarely saw them, and uh, of course now they're fairly common. When I go back east, we we see them, and it's it's always it's always fun to see them. Uh, but yes, I had to do some uh, research into into bears. Uh, we I know through a a uh, common acquaintance of, of a real bear expert who lives back there. So every now and then I'd, I'd send questions uh, his way. And uh, yeah, learning about the bears was, was really fascinating. I've always liked bears. And so that was, that was, I probably did more than I needed to. Mm-hmm. You've always liked bears. What, uh, sure. Tell me about that first. And then I want to just talk in general. Yeah, sure. I, 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 I was one of those kids who grew up, I was a bird watcher yeah. and, and, and spent a lot of time out in the woods, hunting, fishing. And, uh, I just did. And like I said, the bears were scarce. And when you saw one, it was a really exciting thing. And, uh, so yeah, I've, I've always, I've always felt a kind of a kinship with them. So, uh, if I put myself in that situation, exciting,
0: yes, scary. Yes. But that part for you that I think part of our fascination
1: with bears is, uh, you know, some, some fear. Sure. Sure. They're <clears throat> excuse me. They're, they're big animals. And, uh, uh, you don't feel so much fear back east. There was a story a couple of years ago of uh, a very large American black bear caught, had rabies and started attacking uh, some people, and they managed to kill it. But not so much fear out here. Uh, my wife and I hike a lot in the in the Greater Yellowstone ecosystem. We go up there a lot, and so of course there mm-hmm. um, you have your grizzly bears, and you're carrying bear spray. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you you, have you ever had an encounter, uh, uh, occasion to use bear spray? I've always wondered does bear bear spray work?
1: Yeah, I I can tell you um, that it it works on me. Uh, It works on you. (laughs) Okay, my (laughs) My wife and I were were uh, hiking and we saw a bear, and of course I'm trying to get a good look at it and talking to her. She has the bear spray, and I'm talking to her. Hold still. We give it its space. Back up a little, and. and, after it moved along, I turned around, and of course, she was a hundred yards back the trail she 'd taken off with the bear spray and uh, when it, when we got back together we we decided we needed to test the bear spray. so we just we just shot it down the trail, and it was a very impressive plume of of pepper spray and we thought okay that 's cool and then we walked along, and we thought the plume had dispersed, but it had not, and uh, we we emerged from the, that part of the trail. Hacking and coughing and sneezing in okay. her eyes, right. watering. So yeah,
0: it works. You, you're able to test that you would not continue yes. to, to, to I would not chase prey be if you were in any shape. Okay. <laughs> <well>. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of wondered about that. Um, um, I want to again, uh, talking a little bit. We're talking with James McLaughlin. He is uh, lives now in Utah. I grew up in Virginia. This uh, novel, his debut novel called Bearskin, is set in Virginia, and uh, the the main protagonist of the novel, Rice Moore. Uh, has a history with cartels. He's escaped that life, and so he's taken a job uh, protecting a remote forest preserve in Virginia. Um, and so it's remote, and he in the passage you read, he takes on the kind of the, the as a as a prey at uh, wood takes on the coloration of the forest, blends in. But then this thing with the bears happens, and he he wants to break this uh, ring of uh, bear poachers, and that opens him up to possibly. His past coming back exactly to, to haunt him. Uh, so we're we're talking with James McLaughlin on the program uh, today. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, this. Well, let me just read from a review. Um, let's see, or or at least some publicity material. Picture Throw having left for Walden with a bunch of bad dudes hot on his uh, heels. So that's kind of a nice, colorful. <laughs> but you were you were going for more than a thriller that happened to be set in the wild, right?
1: Yes, it it. Uh, it's, it, it started out um, – I didn't start out to write a thriller. I'm not even sure exactly what a thriller is. I'm sure there are good definitions of it out there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's it, it, it was – I'm a, a, a big fan of, of certain writers, people like Jim Harrison and Thomas McGuane. And at that time, I thought maybe I could write something like like they do. And uh, that, that didn't work out so well. And, and uh, so I, I started to amp up the um, – what I guess people would call the thriller aspects of it. And uh, that was fun. I really enjoyed that. And I think it turned into a better book, uh, at least for me. Hmm. Um, So
0: you have – you've said elsewhere – let's say I want to quote this – about the novel. Sometimes it can be propulsive – of the time you spend writing, but most of the time it's just an excruciatingly slow process to write something that moves quickly. Yeah.
1: There's a paradox. <laughs> it is a paradox. Talk to me about that. Yeah. It's, um, you, you end up putting too much or I end up putting too much in and then you need to strip it back mm. so that the reading, uh, flows without a whole lot of, uh, you don't want anything obviously like cliches that will trip up Uh, a reader who starts to roll his or her eyes. Uh, But you also need it to to read clean. And for me, that's hard. Mm. Uh, That takes a lot of work. Taking things out. Yeah, a lot of it's Mm, taking things out. Yeah. 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 You you, you put it in there, it's excruciating getting it down in the first place. But then then it takes a lot of time to get it out.
0: Yeah. So you say that Rice, um, he begins to truly
1: love this Preserve this. This how many acres is it? The the uh, fictional preserve is is large. It's I have it at seven thousand acres. Right, yeah. old growth forest. Yeah, with a, with some primary forest in a in a in a gorge. Yeah, yeah. he comes to love this. Uh, you're
0: and and part of what you're doing here. And you know the the central plot is moving us along at a brisk pace and very exciting. But uh, you're also wanting us to I guess look at the look at this nature look at this land
1: right sure sure that's it's it's funny that's kind of the way i write um and uh again there's there's a good bit of uh taking things out because uh, i i will in my first drafts i will tend to overdo that because that's the way i will experience a place and uh you you strip that down to what works and what doesn't slow the narrative down but yes that's that's very important to me
0: hmm. Let's take another break. When we come back, I'll have you uh, talk to me about uh, another uh, person in the book, uh, Sarah. Sure. Yes, Sarah. Uh, Who's the former warden or the caretaker Mm -hmm. who has left under some pretty extreme circumstances but comes back. Um, And uh, I'll have you read another passage uh, from from the book. that will get us a little bit into Rice's uh, character. We're talking with James McLaughlin. Uh, He is author of a debut novel. It's getting rave reviews. Uh, Bearskin is the name of the novel. And uh, James McLaughlin is with us for the hour. More following this break. Composer Malek Jandali says Aleppo, Syria is the cradle of civilization.
1: It's my duty and my obligation as an artist to preserve and protect that cradle of civilization, the sound. The only thing left in Aleppo today is, sadly, the sound. The Sound of Aleppo on the next performance
0: today from APM.
1: Tonight at 9 on Utah Public Radio. Utah Public Radio would like to thank our partner, the USU Office of Global Engagement, for sponsoring the UPR original series,
0: Crossing Borders. Find out how you can become a sponsor of a UPR original series by calling 435-797-3138.
1: Happy 65th anniversary, UPR.
0: Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in June of this year. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We've reached our last segment with James McLaughlin. He joins us in studio. His debut novel, getting very positive reviews, It's called Bearskin. And uh, the the plot in, in brief, Rice Moore is the, uh, the central uh, figure in the book. Uh, he has escaped a drug cartel on the southern border, um, and uh, is in a pretty good situation if you want to hide yourself away from the cartel. He's on this 7,000-acre nature preserve in Virginia, but then circumstances start opening him up to uh, the return of his past is, is what's happening. Um, so uh, let me have you read this uh, passage uh, first, sure. James McLaughlin. This is from uh, chapter 29. I guess to set this up, he's,
1: he's out. He's, he's just killed a squirrel. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's, uh, he's been out in the woods a lot. Um, he's become a little bit obsessive. Uh, that's an understatement. He's obsessed with catching the, the poachers. And uh, so he's, he's been out in the woods and hasn't returned back to the lodge at all. He's feeding himself out there. And uh, so, so, yes, he's um, become hungry enough to kill a squirrel. Thinking it might help, he apologized to the squirrel the way he'd read Native Americans would when they killed an animal for food. It didn't help, though he understood the key was to love and respect the squirrel species and accept the gift of meat and sustenance that came in the form of individual squirrels which was hard in that it still entailed a predatory suspension of empathy, an objectification of individual others, centers of perception, their own universes surely very different from his own, but nonetheless significant and demanding consideration. He'd spent enough hours watching wild animals to be incapable of forgetting that. He wondered, had he hardened his heart? To harden one's heart would help to avoid pain, but he was sure it also impaired one's consciousness. At some other time, he might have sat longer, puzzling this out, but he was hungry. He built a tiny fire of dry hickory twigs in a crevice in a boulder, skinned and gutted the squirrel, and cooked it on a green stick skewer over the coals. His kills grew cleaner as his hunting prowess developed, but a quick death was death nonetheless. An alert, self-willed creature going about its business transformed with a stab of rice's spear into an inert corpse he could eat He found it strange and more than a little heartbreaking. Certainly, it rubbed his nose in his own mortality, all of this adding up to the price of meat of causing the deaths that sustained him. Despite his misgivings, he soon broadened his prey base beyond fox squirrels to include gray squirrels, cottontail rabbits, and grouse. They were all small animals, and he was only able to spear one every couple of days, not enough to quell the hunger. He started thinking about turkey and deer. He might need a better weapon. This thing that was happening would help him catch the poachers, he was sure, but there was more to it than that. He knew he was no longer altogether in control. Memories he'd long shut off now seeped through. Buffers were being stripped away. Scientific detachment, language, story, self consciousness itself. He tried not to worry.
0: So he said, this is, he thinks in service of catching the poachers and i suppose uh, kind of putting himself into their minds and their skills
1: he, becoming more of a predator yeah, yes yeah but it's having an effect on him yes yes it is he's uh uh like i said he's 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 become obsessed he's been out there in the woods uh by himself he's not even going back to the uh the lodge where he's supposed to be working uh he hasn't eaten anything but uh uh these these small animals, and uh, he's going. It, he, he's opening himself up to this perception of the larger world in a way that becomes um, possibly uh, a little a little crazy, a little pathological. It goes mm-hmm. it goes too far, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And all the while, there's this kind of this mysticism, right? Yes, um, that he feels the force is watching him. Yes. I don't know what he thinks the forest is thinking about him, but but he's he's you know, it's pathological, but it's uh there's some positives and there's some negatives there, I guess yes, right? yes,
1: he's he's getting uh he's getting he's he's living close to the bone here. And uh he's interpreting uh his experience as best he can and and some of it demands a little mysticism. Hmm. You have said that uh speaking about uh Rice Moore.
0: Uh, he's almost pathologically driven to pay attention. Yeah, and you said that in connection with uh, the question was, uh, what do you want readers to take from the novel? Mm-hmm. I guess remove the
1: pathological, right? Mm-hmm. But pay attention. Yes, exactly. I've I've had several people tell me after reading the book that one of the uh, one of the things they took away from it was a a, a desire to pay more attention when when they're out. Um, out in what we call nature, and uh, I, I like that. That's that's because uh, again, uh, Rice is really paying attention. He's open, he's cracked open for various reasons, and uh, maybe seeing it in that kind of ex- extreme example and the, uh, the the expansion of consciousness that can occur. Uh, maybe if, if a few readers go out and pay more attention when they're outside, mm-hmm. I, that would yeah. make me happy.
0: How would that manifest itself or do you feel like you're a good attention payer when you're out there? What, I, uh...
1: I, I, I really – I used to be. Um, uh, mainly now I sit in the basement and write. Um, mm. But I, I, I aspire to be, yes. yeah. Um, I, would, would that be educating
0: yourself? Just, uh, or...
1: Yeah. A lot of it is educating yourself about the, the, the details of the place where you live, the, the ecosystems that surround you. Of course, a lot of people live in cities, of course. Uh, but to get out and go to a place where uh, it's a little wilder and learn something about it and be quiet and pay attention. And, uh, get you know,
0: turn off your electronic device, uh, especially when you're out there. I guess that's... Yeah. Yeah. By the yeah. way, if you're out there with young men, uh, that's the first thing you have to do. I just, uh <laughs> right. When you're out there with the scouts. Right. Turn those devices off yes. and and let's uh, let's be in nature, right? Sure. Sure.
1: Um tell me a bit about uh, Sarah. Sarah uh she was the uh was the caretaker of this of this preserve before Rice and she is a uh, a real scientist as he calls her. She's a postdoc in herpetology at a uh university nearby and she Took the job in part because it it puts her close to her research subject. She studies a, a species of, uh, of of lizard, and uh, she loved the place. and And then had some uh, uh, tragic violence visited upon her, and had to leave. And that's when Rice came into the job. But Sarah has remained as you noted in your object, in your uh, uh, introduction uh, she's remained close to the place and uh, is still in touch with the owners and uh, and she actually plans to come back and move into the place rice is is working on remodeling a, a a cabin on the on the property and she will live there and just do her research while rice is the caretaker hmm. you are uh, in addition to being a writer you're a lawyer you're a photographer i am a um, I think I've said in other places, a solidly amateur photographer. Okay. Yes, I've been taking pictures for as long as I've been writing. You can go to com and see some, they're
0: beautiful photographs. Thank you. Um, so uh, do you think that informs your writing? If so,
1: how? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting question. Um, it goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago about paying attention. I have found that, uh, you know, like I said, I grew up hunting and fishing, and uh, I don't do as much of that anymore, but... Uh, when you 're out in the wild with your camera and you are uh, you would need a telephoto lens or a macro lens, you are hunting everything and and there 's this kind of broad attention that comes over you um, where you 're a little bit hunting but're uh, but, but it 's not quite the same uh, but it's this, but it 's a more wide ranging attention You have lots of quarry that you 're looking for from insects to grizzly bears mm that's uh that's interesting like hunting obviously not you know mm-hmm. obviously not not exactly the same what do you think are the similarities similarities are you you need to know about the species you want to photograph just like you need to know about the species you want to hunt you know their, you need to know their habits what they where they go where they eat where they sleep uh what they're going to do at certain times a day when they're not going to be doing much of anything uh and uh that's and, and, and also being out there, there's a certain I – mean, I keep coming back to this – a certain kind of attention that you develop when you're stalking through the woods and you are in a predatory or quasi-predatory stance. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Uh, it, would, it would be an interesting feel, right? Yeah. A different feel than if you're photographing a – Semi-trail, I guess I don't know, the semi But different <laughs> from just hiking through the woods. Well, Absolutely right, different right. from that. Oh, before we were, were down to the last couple minutes here, I, I do want to talk about the language. I referenced that at the beginning of the program. Uh, dialect, you know, the, from, the, from the deep in the woods, and and some, some vocabulary hmm. that I found uh, very interesting. Um, uh, if someone is lying, you, yeah for example what does that mean law is
1: a verb uh, would that be transitive or intransitive where you you are calling the uh the authorities on someone and that's a it's a not a not generally considered to be a proper thing to do R-r- routing you out I guess. Yes, yes, he's it's almost, me. almost like you're ratting someone out uh, what about a mozambique <laughs> mozambique that's <laughs> that's that is not particular to this local uh, appalachian culture okay. that's that's from uh, uh that's from the, the gun culture um I'm, I'm not sure where it came from. Probably some uh, uh, some something happened in Africa, but it's a it's a way of of killing someone where you're very sure that you kill them. Mm-hmm. And then uh, of course uh, you have uh,
0: someone doing Mexican carry. Yes, yes. Which is you know, stick the yes. gun in your waistband in, in the waistband. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, tell me just a little bit more about the about the Appalachian,
1: I guess, uh, dialect. Yeah, it's like I said. I, I grew up hearing that there were uh, people who lived near our farm who we loved dearly, and and they worked with us, and and they talked in a way that was very different from the way we spoke at home. And there wasn't it wasn't a matter of making f- fun of it at all. It's it's kind of beautiful. It's uh, almost Elizabethan, and uh, so I I grew up with that, and it it kind of I I you, you develop an ear for it mm. when you hear it a lot when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so yeah, I tried to make that as authentic, as authentic as I could in the book. A lot of times you, you get a little carried away with uh, phonetic spellings of, of dialect and, right. and you got to dial it back a bit.
0: Yeah. We're losing some of that, right? Because uh, yeah. everybody's yeah. watching the same shows exactly. and gaining the same maybe gaining is the wrong word, but we're all um, converging on yeah. a similar accent. And yeah, yeah. Everything. That's right. These were old timers. We've reached the end of our time. James McLaughlin uh, is now based in Utah. His debut novel is out. It's called Bearskin. And you can find out more about James McLaughlin at jamesamclaughlin.com. Thank you for coming in. Thank you so much.
1: Tom, thank you. This has been delightful.